what are you trusting God with this week? What are you trusting God with? And if, if, you, if I greet you out in the rotunda afterwards, I'm going to ask you that same question. What are you trusting God with this week? We're thinking about trust. And we're focused, we've been, all summer we've been looking through the prophet Isaiah. For those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, we looked at King Ahaz, evil Ahaz, who was uh, being threatened by foreign nations, and he had the opportunity to either trust God or trust something else. And he ended up not trusting God, and he trusted the Assyrian army to take care of him. God was faithful to his promises anyway, but Ahaz was not faithful to God. Uh, kind of a similar situation today as we look at this text. Uh, it's no longer, Ahaz is no longer king, it's his son, Hezekiah. Now, good news, Hezekiah is a good king. He's a faithful king. He undid a lot of the evil stuff that his father had done. So uh, Hezekiah restored the temple to the way that God intended it to be. He repaired the furniture. He put everything back in order. He consecrated priests, which had not been done, and so they could properly worship God together. And the people were becoming generous. They were tithing again. They, they worshipped, and they didn't do it perfectly, but they trusted God's grace. And they did a very significant thing. They celebrated the Passover together. And it's actually very similar to what we're going to do today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. When Jesus was with his disciples, they were celebrating the Passover meal, and Jesus redefined the Passover in himself. So when we, when we partake of this meal, we remember Jesus' sacrifice, his body and his blood. But when the Jews celebrated the Passover, they were more mindful of God delivering them from a time of slavery, that God saved them. When, when the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. But now, uh, so they're worshiping, they're celebrating the Passover, but they are in trouble because the Assyrian nation and the Assyrian army is now threatening to attack Judah. So Hezekiah and his people are being threatened with attack. They're afraid. Assyria was a very powerful nation. They had wiped out all the other nations in the area, and now Judah is in the crosshairs. So Assyria, who had helped Judah earlier, they're now threatening to attack. And uh, so because they're afraid, the inclination of the people is to try to find help around them. And the only nearest help of anybody who had any power was Egypt. Which is ironic because they just started celebrating the Passover, which was remembering how God delivered them from Egypt. And now they're looking to go back and get help from Egypt. And God is... This passage here is a warning about a warning against affiliating with Egypt and, and, and making an alliance with them. There really no, it would be no help to them. So their choice is you can either trust God and his promise to help you, or you can trust Egypt, who's going to be of no help to you. And really for us today, as we look at this passage, it's interesting because it's the same choice that we make every day. Am I going to seek God's heart, seek God's guidance, and trust him, or am I going to trust anything else in my life? All these other things that I do or pursue to feel safe or to escape, do I pursue those things, or is my primary trust in God alone? You only have 168 hours every week, and you're going to sleep, hopefully, for maybe 48 of those hours. You're left with 120 in that 120 hours, you're 
you know, maybe 10 of those hours you do churchy stuff. You come here to church, you go to your small group, maybe you serve with the ministry of the church. That leaves 110 hours where you're not doing churchy stuff, but you're out, you're at work. You are in, at home, you're in your neighborhood, you're at school, you're running errands through town, whatever you're doing, that we have opportunities moment by moment to trust the God of the universe who loves you and desires to guide you. Do we lean into that? Because it's very easy, it's very easy to just go about our day and make our plans and not pray to God, not consult God, to just go about our way and just ignore the God who moment by moment desires to be living and active in our lives. So I want to explore that idea as we look at this passage really in two parts. The first part is I want to look at the heart of the people. Because the heart of the people here is really, it's a good description of the human heart, and the condition of the human heart really hasn't changed in the 2,700 years since this has been written. So it really does act as a mirror to us of the human heart. The second part is I want to look at God's heart. And really, this is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. God's heart has not changed in this either. So we're going to learn a little something about God's heart, a little something about our human heart, and pray that God just use that. So let's pray as we, as we do this. So Father God, we do want to be people of faith. We, we believe that you desire to guide us, Lord, but it, it can be elusive to us, Lord. So I pray that today as we think about this, that it would just be very real to us that you are here and present by your Spirit. I pray that your Spirit just speak to our hearts. So we trust you with this, Lord. Be our teacher. We give you this time, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, first thing is the heart of the people. Look at verse 1. It's a warning. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. Now, here's what they're doing. It's to those who carry out plans that aren't mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. This is about going down to Egypt without even consulting God. So the people's heart is to try to get help from Egypt. They're not consulting God. They're not seeking him in this. And this is sinful. As we define sin, and I do as a church, I want us to get this right. Anything that we do that's not in faith is sin. Sometimes we think of sin as evil things or bad things or immoral things. That is sin. But as we look at Scripture, any plan you make, any action you take that isn't rooted in faith in God is sin, even if that action itself isn't necessarily evil. That we need to trust God in all things. Romans 14, 23 says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. And when we operate that way, this, this is described here as keeping sin upon sin. It just be, creates a pattern of just doing it your own way. God's plan for sin, or God's, what God is offering here, is his salvation. We see this in verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Two things, repentance and trust, or repentance and faith. I think of it as two sides of the same coin. It's a matter of us uh, repenting, meaning turning. Turning away from doing it my own way. Turning to, to God's way. That's the trust part. So repenting from that, turning towards Him. That's what God offers. But what do the people say? Verse, still in verse 15 here. You would have none of it. 
So God says, look, you're inclined to go your own way, but if you just rest in me, put your trust in me, turn from those things, I will guide you, and the people say, no, thank you. Happy to do it my own way. Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest command? And he said, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And if that's the greatest command, then sin is just a failure to do that. Sin is a falling short of loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. So we just need to turn from that and trust him. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When we feel threatened, when we face trials, when we just going about our day, whatever you're going to face tomorrow, Jesus says, rest in me. That's where this verse is so beautiful in verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Our faith of all people, we need to remember that our faith is not about just doing all the right things to get God to show me his favor, or to gain his blessing, or to manipulate God in some way. He is there offering his salvation, and we just rest in that. We trust in that. We rely on that. And it makes all the difference. So as I was, I was reflecting on this passage, and it just brought up a bunch of questions for me. You know, how much do I really consult God? How, how quick am I to pray throughout my day? Is it just in the morning, at night? Or do I, I, do I sense that God is guiding me in all things? How do I consult with God? What is my ultimate safety and security in life? You know, do, I find, do I find strength in, in quietness and in trust? Or do I more find strength in accomplishing and making plans and that sort of thing? Do I repent of my sin? Or do I just try to fix my sin? You know, when was the last time you confessed your sin to God? When was the last time you confessed your sin to someone else, another Christian in your life? Is that a rhythm of your life? You know, what... The other question, you know, what, are the Egypt, what is Egypt in my life? You know, these people are inclined to get help from anywhere they can find it. Egypt is the next best option for them. Are the, what is that thing I want to escape to that God really doesn't want me to escape to? Again, just where is my heart as I think about the heart of the people here? But the second thing to focus on here is to think about God's heart. What's God's heart here? And I, I'll summarize it in four phrases. God's heart is that he longs, he hears, he guides, and he changes. First of all, he longs, verse 18 here in the text. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up and show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. It's just one of the most beautiful Passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. The word there, we could translate it. It's the same word later in the verse, the word to wait. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. And then it says, blessed are all those who wait for him. The image here is, if we don't wait on the Lord, if we don't trust and abide in him, he's just waiting on us and just waiting to extend grace to us. That's God's heart. It reminds me of the story that Jesus told about a son 
A young man who, even though his father wasn't dead, he took his family's and his portion of the inheritance. And he went off to a foreign land and he squandered it and he spent it on wild living and just wasted it all. And he hit rock bottom. He had no money left. He had no food. And he remembered if he could just go home, at least his father's servants had food. Maybe he could be a servant in his father's household. And he heads back home. And even while he's a distance away, the father is waiting. The father sees him. The father is eager to extend grace, not to take his son in as a servant, but to just bring him back in the family. That, that's the image here. God is just, he just longs. He waits to, to show us grace and compassion when we turn to him. That's his heart. He longs. The second thing is he hears, verse 19, how gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. That's too good to be true. And I, I, don't, I often don't live as if this is true. I often live as if, if I've been wandering, I need to kind of make it up and be better and try harder, and then I can approach God, and then he'll answer my prayer. Maybe I'll earn God's favor in some way, but that's not the image here. This is, this is as we wander, as soon as we turn to him, as soon as we pray, he hears us. That's his heart. Not to turn his ear from us, but to hear our prayer and to answer. He longs to be gracious. He hears our prayer. Thirdly, he guides us. Verse 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. What a beautiful promise. We have a God whose heart is to guide us, his people. He wants to, every day, in every moment, as you, as you go to work, as you interact with your family, as you're in your neighborhood or with your friends, God desires to guide you in each moment. What a great promise. What a beautiful heart of God to guide. Now, for some people, I know this can feel very elusive. And you, can, you hear other people say, oh, God led me to do this, or God guided me, or God spoke to me. And it's sounds good. It sounds like something you want, but how do you know? How do you know God led you? And it's not just your own, you know, it's just your own heart. Uh, one, of the, one of the places we explore this topic is on the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course is a place where we as a church, uh, over the years, we've, uh, people go and you can explore just different aspects of our faith. And one of the aspects on the Alpha Course we spend a whole night is we try to answer the question, how does God guide me? How do I know God is guiding me? And there's really, we talk about five CSs. Now, as a side note, CS, letter CS, we'll get, we'll get to them, but as a side note, you'll see signs out in the church. I don't know if you've seen posters and little signs that say Alpha has changed. It, it has. So they've uh, the, the course has been updated the way that the teaching happens and the, the flow of the evening is a little more, uh, it's, it's a little more different. I don't know. What we want people to do, what we, what we would like you to do. I know a number of you have done the Alpha course. We want people to see the new version of it to see if maybe you want to participate in it or invite somebody to check it out. So it's, it's, it's just been overhauled and updated. Same content, but just delivered a little differently. So there'll be check it out dinners. That's for people who have actually done it before who want to see the new version of it. But anyway, that's a total aside. On the course, the way God guides us, five things. The first is commanding scripture. 
the Bible, that God's not going to guide us contrary to what he's already revealed about himself in his word. If you want to know God's voice and you want him to guide you, search the scriptures. There's so much there that he has commanded and taught us and shown us about ourselves. Remember I had a meeting a number of years ago with somebody who she was describing to me how God was guiding her. And as I was listening, it did not ring true. The God of the universe, who I know and love, would actually guide her to do these things. It just sounded off to me. And, but I, what I didn't want to say was, I really don't think God is actually guiding you to do that. Because that's kind of offensive. If you think God's, listening, you know, God's speaking to you, you know, who am I to contradict that? So I asked the question. I said, how's your engagement with Scripture? And how's your Bible reading go? And she looked at me and said, oh, I don't do that. I listen to Christian music. That's my devotional life. I said, oh, that's interesting. So now I love Christian music, and I love listening to Christian music and meditating on Christian music. It can be very helpful. But it is not authoritative the way that God's word is authoritative and unchanging and true. And it makes all the difference if you're rooting your following God's voice and on his word or on somebody else's reflection on God's word, if that makes sense. So I suggested, I said, hey, I've got some pretty simple resources you could use to maybe start part, as part of your rhythm to engage the Bible. A number of weeks goes by, I met back up with this person, totally changed the whole tone of the conversation about what God was leading her, was very different once she included God's voice in the conversation. Uh, it seems obvious, but we need to, if you want to know God's voice, you've got to be listening to his word, the Bible. So commanding scripture. The second one is the compelling spirit. So for all who put our faith in Jesus Christ, he has promised that he gives us his spirit to live within us and to guide us. And this is that compelling spirit. And so that we can truly know the difference between my own desires, my own feelings, and God's spirit alive within me that is guiding me along with, you know, in, in, not in contradiction to his word, but in line with that. So we have the commanding scriptures, we have compelling spirit. We also have common sense, that God gave you a mind. God wants you to use your mind. And we, he, God wants us to pray for wisdom. Scripture teaches clearly that as we pray for wisdom, God gives us wisdom. And he gives it impartially. He doesn't, he, he, he's not, judging, you know, you deserve wisdom more than someone else. He just, he just gives it freely. So we can, we can make sense of the world around us and make good decisions. So we have scripture and we have his spirit and we have common sense. We also have each other, the communion of saints, we would say. That's the fourth CS. The communion of saints. That's just all of God's people. And I don't know if God has ever spoken to you through someone else, but God often does that. He's given us each other to be a family, to help so that we can see each other's blind spots and help each other move forward pursuing what God desires for us. So we have the communion of saints. And then finally, circumstantial situations. That one's a little forced, the CS. But circumstances. Sometimes an opportunity will just present itself. Or maybe a door closes and we pay attention to those things as God is guiding us and we look at what is before us in our circumstances, but it's not one of those things. It's all of those things in concert with each other. 
that God desires so much to guide his people. Jesus put it like this. He did, Jesus described himself as a shepherd, and we are like sheep that would tend to just wander off. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus desires so much to guide us and to bring us into his fold, into his, his family, to be our shepherd, that he would even lay down his life. And that's exactly what he did. He gave his life on the cross so that we can receive forgiveness of sins and we can receive new life in him. And all that separation is gone. Now we can hear his voice and he can guide us. That's God's heart. He longs to be gracious. He hears our prayers. He guides us. And lastly, he changes our hearts. Look at verse 22. Here's the promise. Then you will desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You'll throw them away like a menstrual cloth and you'll say to them, away with you. All the other things that we were inclined to trust, all the other ways we escape from trouble, all the other things that we put hope into apart from God, as we listen to him, as we as we turn from those things, and as God changes our hearts, those things become rubbish to us. We throw them aside, and we see how precious his guidance is. That's God's heart. He longs to be gracious. He hears our prayer. He guides us, and he changes our hearts. But the heart of the people, because they're being threatened, is to escape, is to seek to form an alliance with Egypt, and God said, do not do that. So, so what happens? Do the people listen? Do they trust in Egypt or do they trust God? Now, this warms my heart as a preacher. The sermon actually worked. Isaiah preached this message to them, and they actually trusted God. They did not go to Egypt. They did not seek help from them. They did not turn there. They turned to God, and this powerful Assyrian army did not win. This was effective preaching. Now, interesting though, so Hezekiah is the king. Assyria is threatening attack. Hezekiah took action. The first thing he does is he shuts off the water. So if Assyria does attack, there's not going to be all this fresh water for them to drink and stay hydrated and come attack the city. So he cuts off the water supply. He set up military commanders. He made a lot of weapons, shields and, and offensive weapons as well. He, but his primary trust was not in his military strategy. His primary trust was in the God of the universe. His primary task was to reestablish proper worship of God. But he did take, he used his common sense, he used wisdom to, to take some of this action. Uh, but what happened was, we have uh, the Assyrian king sends his men to go threaten Judah. Because he's hoping they'll just surrender. Assyria, very powerful, wiped everybody out. So they get right up to Jerusalem, to the wall of the city, and, and yelling out to, the king, you know, to Hezekiah's men, just threatening them. You know, don't trust Hezekiah. You can't, you can't trust him. What makes you think that you're any different than any of these other nations who we've clearly been wiping out? And the king's men said, hey, um, we go ahead and threaten us in, 
uh, in Aramaic because we understand that language. So please go ahead and do that. You know, we'll, we'll understand you. And they said, no way. Because they're at the wall and there's little windows in the wall and people, the townspeople are looking out. And they said, we're going to say this in Hebrew so that you and everyone else can hear this. Hezekiah, your king, he's deceiving you. Every other king told their people to put their faith in their God. And every other God of all those nations we destroyed and we took them and we threw them in the fire. What makes you think you're any different? We're going to do the same thing to you. You're going to trust your God and we are going to wipe you out. Just surrender now. Be loyal to this king. You'll have your own, your own garden. You'll drink water from your own cistern. You'll be okay, but don't trust in your God. The people remain silent. The word, so all these threats go back to King Hezekiah. They said, that, hey, king, these threats are coming. And he was worried. He really was. And they were, this is a very real threat. But this is what Hezekiah does. He goes to the prophet Isaiah. And you can read about this. As you read through the prophet Isaiah, so it starts here in chapter 30. And then over the next number of chapters, you see this, this uh, scene unfolding, the, the threat of attack. And this is what Hezekiah does. He goes to the prophet Isaiah, and he prays. And let me just read to you his prayer. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. He says this, O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. So that's the Assyrian king. So he says, God, God, hear what he has said. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms on earth might know that you alone, O Lord, are God. See, there is a difference between our God and the gods of all the other nations, that you are the creator God of the universe, that you are alive, and Lord, protect us, that, that the world might know that you are God. And it's exactly what happened. God saved them, protected them from the Assyrian army, didn't even have to use their weapons. And it's a crazy story. You could read about it. Uh, so, briefly, the prophet hears this prayer. He said, listen, the king, Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, he's going to hear a report, and when he hears the report, he's going to go home. And it's exactly what happened. Overnight, one night, there was tens of thousands of Assyrian soldiers. They, they all died. And they wake up, and it's just bodies everywhere. And the king hears this report, and the king says, we're out of here. He goes home. And he can, you can read what happens to him after. But God miraculously saves his people from this army, and they put their trust in him. So how about you? So you're not being threatened by some foreign nation army. I mean, we're, in some sense, we, we live in a world where that it's, there is that. But what is it that you're trusting God with this week? That you have a choice to 
to rest in him. And that doesn't mean you don't take any action. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. But your, what is your primary trust in God? Or are you, are you choosing some, something else to put your faith in? May we be people who truly trust in the living God. Amen.